0: and ask the Lord to have his perfect will in this service tonight Lord you are the designer you are the architect this is your plan and program tonight help us to be in your will help us to follow along in your footsteps God
1: hallelujah hallelujah thank you Jesus The ways of the Lord
0: are manifold and beautiful I uh, I was so astounded when brother Howard stated the title of his message because he said it would be keepers of the light I turned to the men around me and said My whole message is about light. And um, I thought, well, either I felt what he was supposed to feel or the Lord wanted both of us to talk about light tonight. Now, I, I want to say something that I realize will be subjected to the opinion of the men on this platform and of the ministers that are out among us, but I, I feel somewhat that there is a sense of destiny about this meeting this year that transcends what most of us are comprehending, and I, I don't want to be any sense of a grandstand play, but last night while. Brother Wilson was preaching. I sat there in wonderment of how God can bring us so far in such a few short years. I remembered tonight standing on this platform, going up into the balcony of Truth Tabernacle a few years ago, the first time I was invited to preach at a PSR meeting. How I laid down on the carpet and cried and asked God to help me. And I looked at this crowd tonight and realized that last night, Our first night crowd was larger than any crowd the first night we moved into the Convention Center the first year. And I thought, God, I thank you for where you have brought us. I don't know where you're taking us. I don't know where all this will eventually wind up. But I thank God for the hand of the Lord that has been on PSR Convention these years. I feel like something is happening in the spirit this year. While Brother Wilson was preaching, I felt, this is what you'll have to judge, but I I felt like the Lord impressed me that, I felt like he was saying something is being born tonight. It was like something was coming to birth, we're in new territory, we're doing things that we've not done before, there is no trail, there's no markers uncharted territory much like the king that marched to the east to conquer and asked for the map they gave him the map one of his men said there's can't find ourselves on and he said gentlemen we just marched off the map I don't know where we're headed but someone that I have tremendous confidence in someone that I've known for 20 years now last night said to me after the message, I made the remark that I just said to you that something is being born in this meeting and uh, this person in the 20 years I've known them has never said to me the Lord spoke to me, has never indicated a dream, vision, prophecy, any gifts of the Spirit, any, anything like that at all. So it bore much more impact upon me when this person said what they said. When I told them what I felt, they said a little voice said to me that this is the beginning of the end this is the ushering end of the beginning of the end times that really impacted me and then one of the precious men of God that was sitting on this platform last night told some of the other ministers and I talked to him before service to make sure that I had it right said what was your impression he used the exact same words he said i felt like it was the beginning of the end and we're heading in to the end time if that be true why don't we decide tonight that whatever sense of destiny god has for this meeting let's give him our very best let's make ourselves available to him that lord whatever you want to do in this meeting i'm telling you god i want to be a part of it i want to be a part of reaching my world i want to be a part of doing something that will affect somebody somewhere with the glorious gospel of jesus christ i hope brother wilson's message was also a prophetic statement about what's going to happen in this meeting has already begun but a restoration of glory I want to express a personal thank you to all of our friends that come year after year to PSR. Thank you for your support. They support this convention financially, numerically, and with their attendance. They send their people and their saints come and they give offerings and you are faithful and loyal supporters to the efforts that we are trying to do. From my heart personally, Kenneth Bowe, I want to say thank you to the preachers and the saints that attend this convention. That are not our six churches thank you for coming and helping us to make psr what it is and has been i sincerely appreciate it. i appreciate these men they are the other men on this committee they have contributed to my life in ways that i could not enunciate tonight it would be impossible for me to tell you how much they have helped me blessed me and encouraged me i will be turning to the writing the prophet Isaiah I want to say how much I appreciate not just brother Wilson's message but brother Kendrick today you were a great blessing to my heart brother Gosselin I I want to tell you I'll never forget the gunfight I will never forget that last little throw of the knife I, I was not only Did I find that humorous, but his message stirred my soul. I told Brother Ballestero, I said, uh, I will never forget your message, age of shallowness. smote my heart, made me want to go find a place to pray. In fact, I did. I just decided, well, I don't know how important lunch is, but right now it's not very important at all. And I was so deeply stirred that I felt like I needed a place to pray. I appreciate it, Brother Ballestero. Thank you. Brother Bright, thank you for the clear note, sure sound that you gave us. Brother Howard, thank you for bearing your heart tonight. We're gonna talk about light. By the help of the Lord, I'm gonna talk tonight on the subject, I'm gonna attempt it, on the subject of shine on, shine on. I wonder if you'd turn to your neighbor and shake their hand and say, Look them in the eye and say, shine on. I will be reading from Isaiah chapter 60. and Then maybe another verse or two. And we may even sing a chorus. I feel a little pressed for time. So I I decided that I would put my watch away and allow you to watch yours. And I'll try to judge by your inattention how late the hour becomes. Chapter 60, I wish I could communicate the sense of expectancy I feel in my heart concerning this world and the future of God's work in the earth. I want to be a part of it and I say that sincerely. I don't want to be some isolated little somebody off over here that I want to be a part of God's great work in the earth. Chapter 60 arise shine for thy light is come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee for behold the darkness shall cover the earth gross darkness the people but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory Shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy right. Shine on. Shine on. I'm asking these young ladies if they'll lead us in a chorus tonight. Lead me, Lord, I'll follow anywhere you open up the door. Would you sing it with us tonight open your heart not just to the song but let's open it to the word of the lord as well
2: well leave me lord i'll follow anywhere
1: you tonight is more important to me God than anything
2: else
1: let your light shine in my life
0: give me the courage to shine on like I've never shown before
1: Sing it one more time. Would you close your eyes, lift your hands and sing it to the Lord from your heart.
0: to have his way in the word of the lord tonight
1: hallelujah hallelujah thank you jesus god bless you you may be seated Isaiah said, Arise,
0: shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Matthew said,
1: You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted?
0: It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men ye are the light of the world the city that is set on a hill cannot be hid neither do men light a candle put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven philippians says do all things without murmuring and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless the sons of god without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. I hope tonight that somehow by the hand of the Lord and the blessing of God, that saints that came to this meeting that are weary and downcast, that have wondered whether they can ever be used of God, that wonder where their role is in the kingdom of God. I hope tonight if there's one weary preacher, if there's one preacher here tonight that in any way, shape, or form has become weary or struggles with direction, I hope tonight that the light bringer comes and rekindles our light. And before we leave here, there is a renewed purpose to shine on like I have never shined before in the kingdom of God. Peter wrote in his second epistle, said, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day's dawn and the day star arise in your heart and first John 1 5 this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all God's got a lot of attributes and I couldn't preach them all tonight if I tried so let's just talk about one of them and that is God is light Paul wrote to Timothy concerning the light of God and said who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto whom no man hath seen nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting amen i want you to know tonight that our god is not a god of darkness but he is a god of light He is a God of illumination, and I believe part of that glory was enveloped in the blinding, white, hot, searing light of God's presence. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? I don't know if I'm borrowing his or he borrowed mine, but I'm fixing to give them to you again. The same verses Brother Howard used in John 8 and 12. Then Jesus spake unto them, I am the light of the world. John 9 and 5. As long as I am the world, I am the light of the world. Luke 12 and 35. Let your loins be girded about and your light burning Ephesians
1: 5 and 8 says for you were
0: sometimes darkness but now are ye light in the Lord walk as children of light John opened his gospel by saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God The same was in the beginning with God. Things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light that was the true light, which lighteth every Man that cometh into the world. If there's anything good about you tonight, it's because the light has shined in your life. If there's one good attribute about you tonight, it's because the light of God has shined in your heart. Oh, let's praise the Lord
3: here.
1: hallelujah
0: light blinding light white-hot light light that when it shines the devil runs for his corner and tries to hide himself Because of the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ The first light I want to talk about is the light of the ministry thank you brother Howard for the message the light of the ministry the writing of the Prophet Hosea chapter number 12 the Lord tells us how he dealt with Israel he talks about trying various ways to address Israel's needs but what he finally evolved to was his ultimate plan it's ironic that God uses an imperfect thing to use and manipulate his perfect plan in the book of Hosea chapter number 12 verse number 10 I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes notice this phrase by the ministry of the prophets the Bible is a long Chronology of men. It really is one long story of man after man after man. 1 Kings 13 and 33 lets me to know that there was a sad day in Israel. That any man that wanted to could become a priest. Any man that just desired it, there were no qualifications. There were no barriers. there There were no measuring sticks whereby he measured himself to qualify for that office. God never intended it to be that way. God's plan is for he and he alone to pick the candidates for the ministry. I'm sorry mom and dad, you may love your baby, but you cannot call them to preach. I'm sorry, preacher friend, as much as you love your boy, you cannot call him to preach. That is a sovereign act of God that only God chooses who the ministry is going to be. God reserves that right to look into the well of a person's heart and soul and find what he's looking for and say, I will use that one for my kingdom. America and the church needs today the ministry of the prophets not hirelings that our brother just preached about not men that are dictated by a church board i don't say that in any sense to be arrogant i'm simply saying for a man to be a god called preacher he must be unfettered He must be able to hear from God and know that when he goes to the pulpit, he has the liberty to preach what God has given him to speak. I want to give you just a brief glimpse into how God views
1: preachers. In 1 Kings 15 and 5. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Save
0: only in the
1: matter of Uriah the Hittite.
0: When you and I examined the life of David, we would not have wrote that verse in the Bible. We would have enunciated some other failures in his life. Numerically, we would have probably started number one with the incident in 2 Samuel 24 and 15 where verse 15 lets us to know that because David numbered the people, there were 70 thousand casualties if you were one of the people that stood at the lonely side of a grave when they buried your husband or your mother or your children and then you heard this verse read you might have inside somewhere said wait just a minute what do you mean that the only mistake David ever made in his lifetime was the matter of Uriah the Hittite what about that other mistake that claimed the life of my mother or my father or my sibling or my aunt or my uncle wait just a minute God but I want to tell you something tonight I believe this deep down in my heart that God honors a godly man God stands beside a man that is doing everything he can to be right I'm going to submit to you tonight willingly that we are not perfect individuals there's not a preacher on this platform that's going to do everything right and everything exactly right but I am preaching to you that as long as he is living the best life he can he is consecrated he loves God he's in subjection to his brethren that God's gonna honor that and God is gonna charge him with his intentional mistakes but not those that he honestly makes in the fear of God I know that's provocative but God did not charge David with one single mistake in his life except the one that he willingly knowingly did in 1 samuel chapter 3 and verse 19 the bible lets us to know that god did not let one word of samuel fall to the ground i'm submitting to you tonight and again this is provocative i'll get off of this and move on in a little while but i want to tell you something there's going to be times when your preacher has to make a decision he'll search his bible carefully he will seek it On his knees he will spend tears and go to a prayer room and there's just nothing there that gives him a Solid black and white answer in the fear of God and in carefulness He's got to make a decision on what to do and what position to take and how to preach it I am submitting to you tonight that I believe that God endorses the preacher when the preacher says God I'm gonna do the best I can I'm gonna preach it this way that God endorses that man And God stands behind that man. Why is that critical? Why is that important? Because that brilliant light that God ordained for a preacher to be can be dimmed and eventually snuffed out just like Brother Howard preached about by people that continually say, but Brother So-and-So across town doesn't preach it that way. Or Brother So-and-So up the, ri- up the valley doesn't preach it that way. Let me submit to you tonight that it's God's plan for you to have a preacher. And it's God's will for that preacher to shine in your local assembly and to preach the truth of God as God gives it to him. And you need to thank God for him. I read what Jacob blessed his sons, pronounced upon them, and God blessed Jacob's words. I read in the Bible about dynasties Saul's and Davids, Rehoboam and Jeroboam, on down the line, Asa, Jotham, Abijah, Ahab, Jehu. But then the Bible directs it to the prophets. It was the forerunner of God's New Testament plan. It was a prophet that introduced the ministry of Jesus Christ. It was the ministry of the prophets throughout the Old Testament that introduced the age that God fully intended to do his greatest work in the earth. And that is the age that we live in. He gave us the 5 ministry, and I still believe in a 5 ministry. He gave us apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and he gave it to us for the perfecting of the saints and the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body of Christ. The ministry of the prophets is alive and well in the earth today. And it comes through the office of your preacher and your pastor and the men that stand in your pulpit and preach to you. If you're here tonight, if you're a pastor and you're weary, I appeal to you somewhere in this meeting, if not tonight, somewhere, before you leave PSR convention, we light that candle in your heart. What I've been so worried about in my prayers, and I don't know how to present this just right. I'm not the best one to do it because sometimes I'm just so plain spoken and so so blunt in the way that I say it. But I've just been concerned about men that are good, solid men. But all around them, it seems like pressures come against them. And it's just a constant push and shove. And and you you need to give in on this. And you need to change that. And and they use words like you need to reevaluate. And you need to reassess these old things that you've been preaching for years. And that constant pressure just pushes in on you all the time. Maybe it doesn't push other folks, but it pushes in on me. And every now and then, I feel like I I just want to just stand up and just shake it all off and say wait just a minute I'm just going to shine on I'm just going to preach what I have always preached I'm telling you there are times that preachers get the feeling like I'm fighting a losing battle I was guilty the Lord rebuked me for it let me tell you about him. I was a little distressed because of things that I see around me sometimes and you get to feeling like what's the use? I'm fixing to step out into a little arena here by myself, so leave me. This is me, alright? But but I I I was a little concerned and I this is not my message, so if this is your sugar stick, you just better lick quick because I'm passing on. But I have a point to make. I have a point to make, alright? Now, good brother, and please don't feel I'm being critical here, but when we were fighting this fight about video, we are fighting about what to do about it, and we're trying to find the answer, and we're struggling around, and we've got resolutions and debates and conferences, and I don't know what to do. I'm telling you what, there was a point, two, two times, in fact. That I went to a general conference and I was I was discouraged about this and that. I looked up and there were sixteen screens at one display and and again I'm in this by myself, so just let me get on through it here. But there was four this way and four this way and there was all and I really in my heart I stood there and I said I feel like I'm in Sears and Roebuck and I didn't have a good feeling about it. And I'm not just hear me out before you before you judge me in this. Now hear me out. And I made a statement to one of my friends. I said, "Well, we have lost the battle." On video. So went on with life and, and that, then I did it again at another conference. I don't remember when these were. I just remember I saw somebody. I was standing there talking to them. I said, ah, ah we lost the battle. And about two weeks ago, I was sitting in my living room early in the morning. I got, I, the Lord woke me up and I went in and said, i was just reading my Bible. And you can judge just for what it's worth, but the Lord rebuked me. When I was in New Orleans, I went down to where they fought the Battle of New Orleans i'd read about it in history studied it in school and i'd always heard that the battle was pointless that the treaty had been signed in ghent belgium 15 days prior on new year's eve excuse me on christmas eve day the battle was fought on january the 8th so 15 days had elapsed and always had heard well that's a pointless battle didn't mean anything well got a little steamboat went down there and went on the little tour that they give down there at the battle of new orleans i was listening to this guy had on one of them costumes had a musket rifle and and he began to talk and i was just kind of listening yeah 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 and all of a sudden my ears perked up because this is what he said he said some people say that the battle of new orleans was pointless and that it had no bearing on the war of 1812. that's what i'd always read robert leckie the noted historian calls the war of 1812 the war nobody won the reason they do that is because not one boundary was extended, not one thing was s- submitted by either side. The only person that benefited evidently out of the War of 1812 was was Massachusetts and the, and the New England colonies. They were enriched from 1 million in their coffers to 7 million by the time the war was over. No territory traded, nothing happened except they just fought a long time and finally called it quits. So they called it the war. Nobody won. But this man in this uniform, he said, I want to tell you today that that's not true. He said, because if this Battle had been lost by the Americans, and the British had taken this this city, New Orleans, this port. He said there would have been additional pressure by Britain to hang on to it under the guise that we might have signed the treaty, but the fighting had not ceased. Now I feel like the Lord talked to me. Lord <laughs> feels lonely up here sometimes. You know? This is what I feel like the Lord told me. Now I prayed this one through. I appreciate your cooperation, but I done prayed this one through whether you, lie, you know, whether you help me or not. I really have. I'm not saying that as a grandstand play. But I'm telling you what God talked to me that day and said, I want to remind you that as long as one man still fights, the battle is not over. You hear me tonight, preacher? i am not through fighting i am not through preaching i am not through they might have signed it in belgium but andrew jackson said we're going to cut the hammer we're going to pull the trigger because there's still some things to win it ain't over and it's just like this and people just like this that as long as we fight somebody's not gonna win because we're gonna believe in God for apostolic revival let's worship the Lord here for just a moment Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not just on that though. Listen to me. The devil will tell you your church is dead. The devil will tell you your church isn't going. I'm submitting to you tonight. As long as there is one soul winner in that church, the battle is not over. As long as there is one worshiper, God will not leave that sanctuary. One preacher can hold God at bay and keep him off the judgment of the people of God. Moses did it, I'm telling you. Come on preacher, get the light on tonight. Let's shine on. Go
2: home and shine on.
0: church ain't dead. Your church is not dead. You just need to shine on a little bit. You need to get something in this convention that you take home and Sunday, blow the doors off of that church and
3: bring revival.
0: God bless you, maybe see you. May be seated. You need to tell the devil, I'm not quite through yet. I got one more round left in me. It ain't over, devil. It ain't over. Because we ain't through fighting yet.
3: China! Shine on, shine on,
2: arise, shine, for thy light has come.
0: Let the Holy Ghost come, we need it. We need to leave here with our faces of gold like Moses did. When I walked down off the mountain, and they said, he has been in the light of God.
3: Shine on. Shine on.
0: Thank you. God bless you. You may be seated. Tell somebody next to you, say, shine on. You need to go home and win souls like you've never won souls before. You need to go home and worship God like you've never worshipped God before. Preacher, I'd like to see you go home and preach like you never preached before. Say, something happened to me. I want to shine on in the midst of a dark world. There is a beautiful story related in the 16th chapter of the book of 2nd Kings. Boy, I feel so good, I hate to leave that little deal there. (laughs) Let me read you a little deal. The prizes of life are at the end of the journey, not near the beginning. It's not given me to know how many steps are necessary in order to reach my goal. Failure I may still encounter at the thousandth step. Yet success lies hidden behind the next bend in the road. Never will I know how close it is unless I turn the corner. Always will I take another step. If that is no avail, I will take another and yet another. In truth, one step at a time is not too difficult. I will consider this day's effort as but one blow of my blade against a mighty oak. The first blow may not cause a tremor in the wood, nor the second, nor the third. Each blow of itself may be trifling and seem of no consequence yet from childish swipes, the oak will eventually tumble so will it be with my efforts of today get out of the molly quit feeling sorry for yourself forget about self-pity and make up your mind i will go home and shine on and leave You may be seated in the 16th chapter of the book of 2nd Kings. There is a story of a king that fell into a terrible trap of idolatry. And he went down to Damascus and saw an altar that the Syrians used. You're making me curious what's going on there. Shine on, shine on bald-headed men can shine on better than most <laughs> sheds more light on the subject if the brilliancy of God gets to shining tonight just make sure it's God not just the reflection of the light even though this man went down in Damascus and saw an altar that he liked he sent word back to Jerusalem to where the temple was and he said make me an altar like this one now the reason this is so bad was even in all of Israel's ups and downs idolatrous ways and I don't find a place in my Bible that at least the altar wasn't existent even though the multitudes were enveloped in barrel worship and idolatry. It appears that sincere people always had a place to go. That if you loved God, there was at least the altar that you could go to and adhere to the tenets of the one true God. The reason this was such a treacherous act was this man not only took away the altar of the Lord, but he put an idolatrous altar in its place. And it was a bolder stroke than any wicked king had yet produced in God's kingdom he has the king went down to damascus he joined them in their devotions there's a little danger signal there and what what cause did he have in joining the syrians in their devotions section to be on things it appears that erijah was the chief priest at this time Without any dispute or objection, he put the plan into action immediately. Maybe, he thought, this wayward-minded king in Jerusalem, if I put this altar in, he will stay away from the goals and the high places and continue to come to the temple. Let us oblige his carnality and he will bring his sacrifices to the temple this concept among apostolics has infiltrated us today if we bring the ball team to the church our young people will not want to go out and play on the ball teams because we don't believe in going to the movie we will bring the movie to the church because it's unhealthy for him to skate down at the roller rink with the sinners, we'll win it and let our young people do it all by themselves. I'm here to tell you you cannot serve carnality in the temple and perform the will of God. (sighs) Everybody from Adair, say amen tonight. Help me out. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, It makes me feel better. You know why i'm waiting i really want that one to sink in because i would that apostolics would get the revelation that i cannot flirt with the world i cannot baptize it under pentecostal titles and make it apostolic if it's the world leave it in the world if it's of god make it of god but we need to learn the difference it has never worked it has never worked To bring it into the temple this priest shamed his authority and profaned the crown of his priesthood can I have your mind for a moment listen to me he made himself a servant to the lust of men and that is the single greatest disgrace of the ministry when you make yourself a servant to the lust of your people and you justify it and you excuse it away and you say it's alright because they want it I'm here to tell you God will withdraw from that type of a ministry. This man betrayed his trust as the gatekeeper of God's truth. He was required by the law to reject anything that was not like God. And here he was replacing the blood-stained altar with a new Damascus altar from Syria. To assist this wicked king in setting up this altar was treachery and he enters into what we would call the company of the infamous if he would have objected if he would have resisted if he would have delayed it would not have been so bad but he was willing and glad to oblige him therefore it was in excuse you made this altar ready when he has came down he put it right near the brazen altar Ahaz was very pleased 2nd Chronicles 28 and 22 Ahaz was pleased and he offered on this altar he ignored God's altar scripture says that he did the other altar consumed his time even though they were placed side by side the priest did not move it completely out he just put the other one next to it gave him the option what did he go to? the same one anybody will go to the one that excites their carnality the one that appeals to their fleshly nature if they're already on their way to backsliding it isn't going to do any good to try to oblige them you're not going to put a hook in their jaw and keep them if they've already started loving the world I want to show you what the Bible says not what we think, but what God thinks about this man that dimmed the light of the ministry. When he began to offer sacrifices on this altar, even though the other altar was right beside it. Second Chronicles 28, 22, and 23.
1: And in the time of his distress, did he trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus which smote him and he said because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me but they were the ruin of him and of all Israel
0: I am submitting to you tonight that when he borrowed Syria's altar his sacrifices by God's word went to the Syrian gods You cannot offer a sacrifice to God on a Damascus altar. You may think you are. You may cut the lamb's throat and spill the blood but that doesn't mean God's accepting it. Well there wasn't room for both of them of course. So Uriah even though he just placed it next to it Ahaz decides why don't we put this one in a different place and the Bible according to verse 14 of that chapter lets us to know that he put it in an obscure place in the north of the court and referred to the Damascus altar. He thinks this altar much more modern, more pertinent, more attractive. At first they jostle against one another but eventually the Damascus altar pushed God's altar completely out of the tabernacle. He did not at first destroy the brazen altar. He did not break it. He did not demolish it. He replaced it. He said, let's make this one a place of honor. We will use this to inquire by. An honorary place, just unused, a show of former glory. He denied its purpose and tried to make it what it was never intended to be. This is what the Jewish historians say, happened to the brazen altar. Second Kings chapter 20, verse number 11, Brother King.
1: And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow ten degrees backward, by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Jewish writers
0: say that first of all, this brazen altar was just pushed into a far corner, and eventually it was unused and so they took it out and this scripture makes reference to it when it was turned simply into a sundial and the man comes to Isaiah the prophet and Isaiah says well the Lord would give you a sign would you rather the degrees go 10 degrees forward or 10 degrees backward the Bible did not have to include those little words the dial of Ahaz it could have just said the sundial but tradition and that's all it is But Jewish writers record that the brazen altar was formed into the sundial of Ahaz. How ironic that it became a timepiece and it counted the days to their destruction. I would like to see a spirit come upon apostolic preachers in our day that came upon Judah in the matter of Ai, where 36 men died, Joshua was discomfited, desperation he sought God, and God said, cast the lots. All Israel gathers together. All the tribes are there. They cast lots. Again, I was reading Jewish writers, and this is what they said. They said, when that lot fell upon the tribe of Judah, the warriors of Judah, which at that point was seventy four thousand six hundred men according to the bible simultaneously without one word among them when the lot fell on judah seventy four thousand six hundred men placed their hand on the hilt of their sword silently drew it and held it aloft glinting in the sun it was a silent spoken word that whatever there is in this tribe that is fixing to mar our inheritance whoever he is Whatever family he belongs to. Before we even get there. We just want you to know. That we will purge out from among us. Anything that threatens my inheritance. Oh that that spirit. Would come upon preachers today. That when they stand in the pulpit, they would realize the responsibility placed on the shoulders of a man of God. You're to get them to heaven. You're to preach them the word of the Lord. If they're lost in their carnality, if they backslide because of what you allow, preacher, judgment day is going to be a terrible place. God let the spirit of Judah get a hold of us that says, I will purge anything that threatens my inheritance. hallelujah oh God give us give us preachers who will shine on brother King handed me some notes the other day I'd like to share with you quickly there's a researcher by the name of Robert Abelson he's a professor of psychology and political science at Yale University for 20 years he has studied belief systems he wrote an article on the difference between a belief and a conviction secular he's not even a christian writer in the sense of us or what we're used to hearing but he is writing from the standpoint that that's why public opinion polls sometimes are deceiving because a belief is something shallowly held but a conviction goes deeper than that he said beliefs can be by definition fleeting but convictions even though they evolve from an initial belief have considerable more stability and they must meet stringent criteria he said, how does a belief turn into a conviction? He said, I wanted to look at that. You start out with a belief and you become increasingly aware of a certain issue. And as you become more aware of an issue, you accumulate knowledge or arguments and processes of information by little bits and pieces. He said, many beliefs never have a chance of becoming a conviction because most convictions are born out of extreme circumstances this man a secular writer said if you really feel passionate about something then you want to make extreme statements and do extreme things why don't we have more sure statement preaching maybe we have a lot of beliefs and not enough convictions historical evidence suggests that many of the great movements for social change were inspired and implemented by a relatively small number of individuals. He said and I quote, small numbers of people with commitment and devotion galvanize the many. Before belief turns into conviction several characteristics must be present. Number one there is a condition in the mind. This is the first condition for a conviction to be present. There is a condition of the mind in which that person is resistant totally resistant to persuasion it's a conviction because he does not intend to change his mind number two there is a stability of opinion over a period of time bible terminology would be he doesn't waver number three a conviction exists when strong feelings are present And he said, as a result, individuals think that their belief expresses a part of themselves, and they can't ever imagine changing their mind on the subject. That's when you know you starting on a conviction. Number four, they've got a depth of knowledge, and I like this one, and a set of arguments (laughs) that they can use to defend against possible attacks. They got a pocket full of arguments. Number five, there is a preoccupation with the issue. When I got through remiss, I wondered if anybody had any conviction. Number six. You had to be willing to take action on the behalf of your conviction. If you're not this is this is the secular man writing about conviction. He said if you're not willing to take a stand, it's nothing more than a belief masquerading as a conviction. Now, if you're not willing to take a stand, don't tell me about your conviction. You just got to believe. Masquerading as a conviction. The final characteristic, this is so typical of Jesus' name, people. The final characteristic was a lack of restraint against being extreme on the issue. In other words, the individual will take a stand, express it, and act on a conviction even if it goes against the social norm at the risk of rejection. I'm telling you what, I'm glad we've got some convictions. I'm glad that it's deeper than a belief. I'm glad there's some things in our heart and our churches that we're going to believe until Jesus comes. I'm not planning on changing my mind. I plan on shining on. i'm telling you i'm just going to continue to preach about women not wearing makeup and not wearing jewelry and the holiness standards that we have believed for years it's a conviction with me hallelujah why don't we pray right now god give us some convictions hallelujah thank you and God bless you. you may be seated I will not hold you that much longer but I do have just a few more things to say there was a man by the name of Aesop. I wrote fables you may be familiar with some of them he was a man that was a slave during the golden age of Greece he lived in the country of Phrygia he learned to read and write and used that to win his freedom his name Aesop or Aesop however you want to pronounce it means eternal voice or timeless word he wrote several fables that you're probably familiar with he wrote the one about the goose that lays the golden egg he wrote the one about the tortoise and the hare the boy who cried wolf but he wrote another fable that's not as well known that really touched my heart short fable Called the eagle and the arrow. It reads like this one short paragraph. One day a bowman saw an eagle in the sky. Quickly he notched an arrow, sent it whizzing after the bird. It found its mark, and the eagle felt itself wounded to death. As it slowly fluttered to earth, it saw that the arrow which had pierced its breast was fitted with one of its own feathers with added grief he looked at the end of the shaft which bore his own feather that drove the steel through his heart and drank his last ounce of blood and said alas tis an added grief with my own feather I am slain I have plumed my own destruction now the ironic part about that is that if an eagle is to grow, he has to pluck his feathers. It's a fact of nature. But that which he discarded under the name of maturity, that which he pulled out from himself under the banner of progress, guided the arrow that destroyed him. I think we need to be very, very careful about what we discard and lay aside under the banner of progress forward
3: there's
0: a couple of things that really disturbed me one of them is this attitude that this apostolic worship is not conducive to winning high-class people that we want to reach the doctors and the lawyers and the engineers and the mayor and the councilmen and the senators and the congressmen so therefore, when you come to church, don't 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 act foolish, don't run the aisles, and don't stand up and scream. Just just worship the Lord quietly and piously, and until we have a chance to give them the doctrine. I'm going to tell you something. I really don't believe in that, and I'm not being uh, uh, sarcastic about it. I don't have anybody in mind right now, except that the concept is you better believe that we better depend on a Holy Ghost move of God in our services. You're not going to modernize to the point where you can please the world. It's still by the foolishness of preaching it's still by a move of the holy ghost and old-fashioned conviction that'll pull them to an altar if you're not going to be any different than any other church in your town they won't want to come you better get a hold of something that says side on side on like an apostolic church Don't try to water down your doctrine to make it acceptable to them. Don't try to coin phrases that will be inoffensive to them. Preach one God. Preach repentance. Preach baptism. Preach Holy Ghost. And they'll love it. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah there's a little phenomenon in our society known as cocooning and what it is is a husband and the wife both work kids go to daycare and they commute a long ways so when they get home all they want to do is lock the door and turn on the TV and order in pizza they call that cocooning they burrow in America has lost its old time neighborliness people who live ten, part, ten feet apart don't know each other like folks who used to live a mile apart they did a survey concerning these matters 67 percent of the people responded in this manner the question they asked was what is the world's greatest problem 67 percent said I don't know and I don't care apathy for the price preached about apathy excellent message comes from apathos which means no feeling this is our world no feeling we pick up the paper and children have been abused we've learned to shrug they've been abused or molested or cigarette burns or scalding water or mass murder chainsaw murders gang killings war famine we live in the age of the shrug we live in the age where we just have to shrug it off there's too much of it and what cannot happen to the apostolic church if we're gonna shine on is we cannot cocoon we cannot get into our little world and say just let the world go I want God to light some fires in PSR 1990 that people go home and say I will work for God in my local church. (laughs) (laughs) Apathy. We need to be baptized anew with concern. We need a fresh mandate. I cannot allow indifference to overtake me. As a pastor I cannot afford to be comfortable and sit back with a comfortable amount of income or ties or good family and content myself with social activities in my church there has got to be a keen edge in my life that says there is a lost city that i am responsible to god for oh God don't let us forget thank you brother Wilson for that message last night it literally took my heart and just squeezed it and said what am I doing for my world I get so caught up sometimes in what I'm doing that I forget about God and his kingdom and I want God to stir me in this conviction I want God to talk to my heart I want God to put something in me again that I want to go home and be a better pastor than I've ever been I want to be a better preacher than I've ever been I want to be a better Christian than I've ever been because our world needs a whole bunch of folks that will just shine on and shine on and let the glory of God shine upon them I'm, I'm hastening to a close. musicians would you come I read about a racehorse named Nashua maybe you're familiar with it. someone calculated That this horse won more than 1 million dollars in a total racing time that added up to less than one hour all its time put together million dollars for one hour it's not bad pay is it now we know that a lot of hours of preparation and training went in before winning that one hour racing this is my point what is there about a horse like Nashua that made him such a consistent winner and such a valuable horse you would probably pay a hundred times more for this horse than you would an ordinary horse but is the horse a hundred times faster no in fact Most of the races were won by a nose length. Just a little bit better than the next guy. We get to thinking we have to be a super Christian or a super preacher or a super pastor to adequately do what God asks us to do. But maybe all God's asking for is just about two percent more they studied it and said what separates those that excel from those that are mediocre it was two percent different in their effort two percent difference in their time simply two percent that they weren't willing to put in and they figured they came in ahead of the rest What if every saint in PSR 1990, what if every preacher decided I'm willing to give at least 2% more this year than I gave last year? Instead of allowing our light to dim and fade, just hold on till Jesus comes. What if we were willing to run up and grab the torch, say, I feel like running on a while. The scripture makes reference to the days of Samuel and says, they are the light of God went out in the temple God had to use a little boy but he made sure that light did not go out you can mark it down the light will not go out you can mark it down God is gonna have a church but the Howard made mention of Balak and Balaam it's ironic numbers 24 and 17 what he said one last scripture by the King would you read for us
1: i shall see him but not now i shall behold him but not nigh there shall come a star out of jacob and a scepter shall rise out of israel star out of jacob
0: and a scepter shall rise out of israel thank you the hebrew word my pronunciation is not good but cold there shall come a star out of jacob there shall come a Messiah when it looked like it was over the whole human race was going to be damned along came Noah saved a whole world of people 400 years it looked like they would never break the yoke of slavery then along came Moses and led them out of their captivity apostasy year after year along came Samuel the kingdom would never grow never reach its potential God claimed and promised to Abraham and along came David 400 silent years we will never hear the voice of a prophet again go ahead and let them change but just go home and shine on be the light God asked you to be be the light God intended you to be let the day star rise in this meeting let it be the dawn of a new day in your life and in your ministry it's time for god's people to shine on i'm gonna ask you to stand as i conclude do you know what the last title god gave himself in the bible was not what men have said of him but what did he say of himself what was the final period God identified himself with in the 22nd chapter of the book of Revelation he is the bright in the morning star 2nd Peter 1 I went to my strongest concordance I don't know much about Greek I wanted to look up what day star meant when he said until the day star rise and I looked up the word day And it was number 5459. Then I looked up the number star. And it was also number 5459. It was either repeated or it was one word. I'm not sure which. I couldn't figure it out. But I looked it up. And it simply meant. The light burner. May I read those same verses to you tonight. Out of the Amplified Bible. And we have the prophetic word made firmer still you will do well to pay close attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dismal squalid and dark place until the day breaks through the gloom and the morning star rises in your hearts Philippians 2 do all things without grumbling and fault finding and complaining against God questioning and doubting among yourselves that you may show yourselves to be blameless and guileless innocent and uncontaminated children of God without blemish faultless unrebukable the midst of a crooked and wicked generation spiritually and perverted and perverse listen to it among whom Ye are seen as bright lights, stars, beacons shining out clearly in the dark world, holding out to it and offering to all men the word of life. And last of all, my scripture that I read to you as a text Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 1. Close your eyes and listen to it carefully. I feel like it almost has a prophetical impact tonight. Pastor, preacher, if you arrived at this convention discouraged, weary about the condition of things, hear this verse tonight. Arise from the depression and prostration in which circumstances have kept you, rise to a new life. Shine be radiant with the glory of the lord for your light is come and the glory of the lord is risen upon you it needs to be the dawn of a new day shine on shine on shine on shine on shine on You like to shine on like you never have before want
2: to be a witness
0: how about it pastor how about it preacher? are you willing to let the light shine again tonight they star shine down on me
2: shine down on me tonight let your love shine through me
0: he's bringing the light to you tonight you'll
2: accept it